Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Thus far, the reading of God's word, and we want to focus our attention particularly on the opening words. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Beloved of the Lord, beginning in chapter 4 of this letter to the Ephesians, two chapters before we what we read, in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul calls us to live a life Worthy of our calling in Christ. God has called us to himself. He has saved us and made us his people. He has described the great salvation that God has done for us in the first three chapters. And then in chapter four, he begins to describe how we ought to respond as God's people. How we ought to live a life worthy of our calling. He describes how our lives are transformed by grace, how there is a a moral reformation that begins in the heart and shows itself in the way that we live, and particularly how we live together in peace and love with one another. He uh, describes how uh, we are to respond in response to the free gift of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And he goes through chapter 4 and chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, laying out how we ought to live a life worthy of our calling. But then he also concludes that chapter by recognizing the fact that it's not going to be easy. Uh, You may think that uh, growing up is hard and then uh, going to catechism and uh, church and all that, but then when you you, uh, make profession of faith, you kind of graduate and now... Now you can coast. Now it's going to be easy. But no, when you make profession of faith, and then, then it gets difficult. <laughs> when we recognize who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us and our need to, to now begin to live for him, we also become aware of the fact that uh, we have to face an enemy. And so he uh, calls us here to be strong in the Lord. It's not going to be easy to live this life. And uh, I want to consider with you today why it is we need to be strong, what it is to be strong, and 
how we are to be strong in the Lord. Why do we need to be strong in the Lord? Why do we need strength to live the Christian life? Well, primarily because we have a spiritual enemy. Spiritual hosts of wickedness, forces of wickedness in heavenly realms, principalities and powers arrayed against us. Now, when he says we have spiritual enemies, he's not forgetting the fact that uh, there are also uh, physical obstacles to the Christian faith and physical enemies. After all, Paul was imprisoned and he was uh, whipped and he was stoned by human beings. He's, when he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, he's not forgetting that. But he's recognizing that those human opponents were motivated and led by and guided by the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. The devil and his legions of demons are what are behind all efforts to thwart your expression of your Christian faith. God wants you to live a life worthy of your calling. And Satan doesn't want you to live a life worthy of your calling. And Satan works through all different kinds of means to try to bring you down and uh, destroy your faith. And make it, uh, if he can't destroy it, at least make it uh, ineffective so that uh, not uh, anybody will, no one will be impressed by it or uh, enticed to uh, inquire how they may also become a Christian based on what they see in your life. Um, the modern Western world uh, scoffs at this idea of spiritual forces of wickedness, uh, a devil and demons as behind uh, the evil that is in the world and the evil that is particularly trying to overthrow the good that is in the world, uh, the good that it comes to expression, especially in the lives of Christians. Uh, they don't believe in the supernatural. They they, they recognize that there are bad things in the world, but they don't like the word evil. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember uh, President Ronald Reagan calling the Soviet Union an evil empire. And all the, the outcry from uh, secularists in the world, don't call them evil, you know. Uh, that's, that's terrible that you would uh, speak the word evil. There is uh, dysfunction in the world, perhaps they would say, but not uh, evil. Uh, They try to uh, explain the things that are wrong in the world by saying, well, you know, it's uh, the world is guided by bad philosophies or bad uh, psychological influences or uh, there are chemical imbalances in people's minds that uh, cause them to do uh, things that are inappropriate. And uh, so they, they, they look to all different kinds of excuses to explain these things. So, you know, the uh, communists and socialists would say that uh, capitalism is, is the thing that is ruining mankind. Capitalism, they say, is full of greed, and greed makes people abuse each other and hurt people and put people down and oppress people. And so if we could just get rid of capitalism and introduce uh, socialism or communism, then the world would live in peace and mankind would, uh, everybody would love each other and get along because everybody would have everything equal. Well, you only have to, uh, uh, if you're a capitalist, you look at socialism and communism and say, well, 
if, if that's supposed to bring people living in peace, why did you have to kill so many of your citizens in Russia and Soviet Union, 25 million uh, put to death, and communist China putting people to death, and communist North Korea putting people to death? Uh, if it's supposed to bring peace and, and prosperity, why didn't it work? You know, it doesn't work. And, and so each one points to the other and say, it's, it's your philosophy that is, is making the world go astray. Or the, uh, the secularists will say uh, it's you religionist uh, people that uh, are introducing all the trouble into the world. If you would stop using the word evil and just talk about uh, the fact that we're not perfectly evolved yet and there's still some dysfunction, then uh, we would learn to be more tolerant and patient with each other. But when you talk about evil, uh, you're putting people down and uh, justifying their uh, oppression and so forth. And, and so... Uh, the, the, the religionists, uh, they say, well, it's you atheists that are calling us all the problems. It's your atheism that is leading to so much immorality and, and uh, man's uh, uh, abuse of his fellow man doing wicked things to each other. Uh, religion would civilize you and, and make you uh, more loving and kind. And, and so we, we look uh, again to... Uh, systems and philosophies or so forth. Scientists says uh, what's wrong with mankind is uh, chemical imbalances in the brain. And, and if we could just find the right pill to restore the right chemicals, why the world would live in peace. Well, uh, certainly there are problems with chemical imbalances, but uh, finding the right pill is not going to bring uh, peace and prosperity to the world. The only adequate explanation or the great evil and wickedness that is evident to all in the world is that God created two creatures with free will. He created uh, angels with free will, and he created human beings with free will. And uh, at first, uh, the angels, some of the angels, rebelled against God and uh, became wicked and evil, and then enticed the first humans uh, to do the same. And they continue to entice and lead humans into sin. Uh, the Bible teaches us that the devil is so powerful that he is uh, more powerful than any creature in heaven and earth, uh, second only in power to, to God himself. Uh, it says he dwells in heavenly realms. You remember the, the Hebrews had a three-fold view of heaven. Uh, there were three heavens in their worldview. The first heaven was the atmosphere around the earth. The second heaven was the uh, what we call outer space, where the sun and the moon and stars are to be found. And then the third heaven, the highest heaven, was where God lives. And uh, when the Bible says that uh, these spiritual forces of wickedness dwell in heavenly realms, it's referring to the first heaven, uh, the atmosphere around the earth. Uh, a little uh, earlier in uh, Paul's letter, he says that uh, the devil is the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. So he's, he's in the atmosphere. He's all around us. He's, he's in the air that we breathe. He's part of our environment. We live uh, in his realm. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul uses terms like principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness. Uh, the terms are piled up to impress upon us the awesome and extensive power which Satan and his legions wield over the entire earth in the present age. 
in Luke 11, uh, Satan is referred to as a strong man, uh, or strong man armed who keeps his goods in peace. Now that word peace there means that he keeps them in subjection. He prevents them from rebelling. He, he holds them with an iron grip, uh, kind of like the, uh, uh, Roman peace of the uh, first century. It was enforced by Roman soldiers, garrisons of soldiers everywhere. Uh, the subjects of the Roman Empire hardly uh, dared uh, whisper a word of criticism against Rome because Rome ruled with an iron fist. That's how they kept the peace. The Pax Romana uh, was uh, a, a peace enforced with strict power armed power, military power. And so Satan rules his kingdom with an iron grip and keeps his subjects under his control with that iron grip. Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The book of Revelation says he's a great red dragon. He's to be feared for his craftiness. He's a schemer, a plotter, uh, sneaky and a deceiver a seducer who preys upon and exploits our weaknesses. He knows what he what we want and what we desire, and he offers us seemingly painless ways to try to obtain it. He lays snares and traps, including disguising himself as an angel of light. He is the father of lies who twists the truth and contradicts the truth. He seeks to separate us from God's love and God's favor, and as such he is a, a murderer. Uh, murderer from the beginning. He wants to uh, murder us by making us rebel against God so that God will put us to death in his anger. Without help, you will fall before Satan's schemes. In fact, we all have many times. The only way you will be able to resist Satan is if you are strong in the Lord. Now let that sink in for a moment. Because this is contrary to what a lot of churchgoers in the world today uh, would like to think or do think. The idea of having to fight the good fight of faith is not a popular idea. Many Christians would like to rise to heaven on flowery beds of ease. Many false teachers proclaim it, that you can have your best life now, that You can have health and you can have wellness and you can have a a life filled with abundance. A number of years ago, there was a popular book called The Prayer of Jabez. Jabez is one of those uh, people mentioned in the uh, genealogies in the book of Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles, uh, those long lists of names that are so hard to read. Uh, But there's a little note about Jabez and that he, he prayed that God would increase his inheritance And God did. And uh, so the author of this book says, you ought to be praying the same thing, that God would make you rich. God delights to make his people rich. You just have to ask him. Well, uh, indeed, we can and uh, maybe ought to pray that God would increase our inheritance. But our inheritance is not in this world. Our inheritance is laid up for us in heaven and is uh, going to be revealed when Christ comes again in the fullness of his glory. That's our inheritance. The, the land of Israel, about which Jabez prayed, was symbolic of that future kingdom that is still future for us. 
And therefore, if we're to pray the prayer of Jabez, it's not uh, that uh, God will make us rich in this life, but that he will increase our inheritance in the life to come. And indeed, God promises to give us more than we can uh, imagine, more than we can ask or think. Uh, He's already going to do that uh, for us in the life to come. But in this life, now you have to enter the kingdom through much tribulation. King David uh, prayed in Psalm 144, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Know that when Joshua led the people into the promised land, they, they conquered the kings of the south and they conquered the kings of the north, but they didn't conquer everyone. And one of the reasons they didn't conquer everyone is because God wanted future generations to learn war to learn to fight, to fight against evil. That is the case for you and me as well. We're called to uh, fight the good fight and to be strong in the Lord. Life isn't meant to be easy. There are many tribulations. Now you have to suffer grief through all kinds of trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold which perishes, may prove Genuine and redound to the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ when he is revealed. If you have peace in this life and are at peace with the world, then you are an enemy of God. You can't be on God's side and also on Satan's side. When God came to Adam and Eve and gave the first redemptive promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. Enmity means hatred, and that means that there is a line between God's people and the world. And uh, across that line, there is constant uh, friction and battle. We're called to uh, fight the good fight of faith and to uh, be at war with those who are in rebellion against God, uh, working uh, for their defeat, uh, primarily uh, through conversion uh, unto uh, the truth. But uh, we want to see the forces of wickedness uh, defeated in this world, the spiritual forces of wickedness that are at work. And so we are called to uh, fight the good fight. Uh, Notice we have to wrestle against these spiritual forces. Uh, Some people want to be done with it all at once. And they say, uh, I've got this problem and I want want this demon exercised from my life. Uh, uh, Once uh, once for all, quick fix solution, uh, get rid of it. uh, Or maybe a a second blessing that will just transform my life so that I go from one uh, victory to the next and never experience any any problems. No, we're called to wrestle our whole life long. You need to be strong in the Lord so that you can resist the onslaught of the forces of wickedness in the days of evil. And when all has been done, be left standing firm. The day of evil is any day when your faith is put to the test by hardship or pain or enticement to sin, which is every day. Now, what is it to be strong in the Lord? Uh, What is it to be strong in the Lord? We need to be strong because we have an enemy, but what is it to be strong in the Lord? Well, it's to do battle with the confidence that God is with you. 
It's to do battle with the confidence that God is with you and will give you everything that you need. It's to do battle with the confidence that He'll always take care of you. It's to fight with courage. The command to be strong appears numerous times in the battle. And uh, usually after a command to perform some task and is often followed by the assurance that, that God uh, is with the person who is being commanded to do this task and who is uh, uh, assured of God's presence. For example, uh, when Joshua went into the land of Canaan to fight the forces of evil, he went knowing that the power and presence of God was with him. God appeared to him and uh, in Joshua 1.9 it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be courageous, and and be courageous because you know that God is with you. Wherever you go, I'll be with you, I'll be taking care of you. So be strong, be strong and courageous. When uh, David was running and hiding from Saul, we read in 1 Samuel 23:16 that Jonathan, Saul's son, came and uh, strengthened him in the Lord. And it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And how did uh, Jonathan strengthen uh, David's hand? By reminding him, you will be king. <laughs> reminding him of God's promise. David had been anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the next king. David was aware of that. And Jonathan comes and reminds him. Remember what, what the prophet Samuel said. Remember what God said to you through Samuel, that, that you are the next king, that God is, has anointed you. God has chosen you. You're God's man. And that strengthened David to know that God indeed had chosen him. He needed to hear that again. In the book of Daniel, we find Daniel overwhelmed with fear because of the visions of the future that had been given him. And so God appeared to him and spoke to him in Daniel 10 and says, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Be strong. Be of good courage. I'm with you. And as Daniel heard those words from God and believed them, that God was with him, he was strengthened. He got courage to face that awful future that had been revealed to him. The same thing happened to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was about to go into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And what what happened just before that? Well, the heavens opened and God the Father spoke and said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 11, we're told explicitly that that word was not addressed to John the Baptist. It was not addressed to the crowd. It was addressed to Jesus. The Father is talking to the Son and saying to the Son, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in the strength of that assurance, He was made strong to go forth and face temptation in the wilderness. One more example, when the disciples were told to preach no more in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 4 and were threatened with punishment 
They went home and prayed with confidence because they knew that God was the creator of the heavens and the earth and had predicted all the things that were happening to them, assuring them that God was in complete control. They remembered the words of Jesus and they were filled with confidence and courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the presence of love, love that overcomes fear. Perfect love casts out fear. When you know that God loves you and is with you, you you can fight with courage. You know, many times uh, soldiers go into battle and do courageous things, things which surprise even themselves. Uh, What makes a soldier courageous in battle? Well, it's not that he's not afraid to die. It's that his love is greater than his fear, and his love casts out fear. He he loves his country, he loves his uh, family and their freedom and is, wants to protect them. And he loves his comrades uh, in arms for whom, with whom he's fighting. And so he's, because of his love for them, is willing to go out. And he gets those letters from home assuring that him of uh, the family's love for him and prayers for him. And, and, and that word from home gives him the courage to go forth and to fight with courage. So being strong in the Lord means having this this courage that comes from knowing that God loves you, that God is with you, that he will take care of you. That's what it is to be strong in the Lord. Now, how do you become strong in the Lord? Well, it's not hard to figure out. You should be able to have figured it out already. You have to listen. You have to listen to God. He's speaking to you. He's talking to you. He's telling you of his love for you. He speaks to you in the gospel and uh, reminds you of how much he loves you. He speaks to you at the cross and shows you his love for you. You might say, you know, it would be better if, if uh, like Jesus, I could hear a, an audible voice from heaven. Or uh, even if I could see some uh, miracles or he would do a miracle for me in my life, you know, and, and give me something that, to prove that he's, he's with me, you know. Uh, well, that's not God's will for you. It wasn't God's will for most believers down through the centuries. The time of special revelation were periodic and infrequent, uh, going all the way back to, to Moses. Uh, there were lots of times where people had to live by faith and not by sight. Uh, Jesus said to Thomas, uh, after Thomas uh, said, My Lord and my God, and he saw the wounds of Jesus and so forth, and he confessed faith in Jesus and he said, You, you believe because you see, but blessed are those uh, who believe and, and don't uh, see, don't have the opportunity to see. And Peter wrote his uh, first epistle in the in the first century already in his lifetime. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Even in the first century, there were many saints who hadn't seen Jesus and hadn't seen miracles. But even though they hadn't seen him, they loved him. Why? Because they had heard. They'd heard the good word that God is with them. God speaks to you in the gospel. He shows you his love at the cross. He assures you that by faith your sins are forgiven. You you who believe are now clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God looks at the believer with the same unfailing love that he looks upon his son Jesus. 
God spoke to you in your baptism and continues to speak to you in your baptism, promising that through faith you are his beloved child. The same assurance that that Jesus heard, that assurance is given to you in your baptism. Each piece of armor that Paul describes in this passage, which we're not going to look at uh, now, uh, is describing a a message from God. Uh, how we are righteous and uh, how we are uh, our blessed hope and and so forth and the shield of faith each of these things refers to something that that God says in his word that equips us and and strengthens us in the hours before uh, Jesus was arrested he he warned his disciples that on that very night they would all run away and and desert him and it wasn't just peter who said no that'll never happened. They they were all confident, but they were confident in their own strength. And because they were confident in their own strength, their strength failed when Satan tempted them. But had they been strong in the Lord, as they were on Pentecost, having remembered the words that Jesus spoke to them and how everything that was happening was in fulfillment of the words that had been spoken through the prophets and uh, through Jesus, uh, having heard that word and remembered it and believed that they were courageous and strong to stand up for their faith before a world that uh, hated them and wanted to put them to death. You all are called to live a life worthy of your calling. The only way you're going to be able to do it successfully is you remember that God is with you. And the only way to remember that God is with you is to come back again and again to his word and listen to his word. Listen to his word preached to you. Listen to his word as you read it in the scriptures. Listen to it as you have family devotions together. Listen to that word. Remember that word. Hide it in your heart. Meditate on it day and night that it might be uh, your light in times of darkness and trouble. Uh, remember that word that God is with you and he will care for you. He has sent his son Jesus Christ to love you and to die for you so that you might be forgiven and made you, uh, make you heirs of eternal life. And with Jesus he will continue to give you all that you need. Believe that word and carry it with you and you will go forth strong in the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, You uh, came to Jesus at his baptism and said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we thank you that through the gospel you speak the same words to us today, that we are your children and that through faith in Christ we are assured of your love always. Help us to be strong in that love and in that love go forward and fight the good fight of faith, resisting the devil and his legions and living evermore to your praise, living a life worthy of our calling in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.